we're going to kind of go into it a little bit. But uh, before we get super started, I want to get you guys' brains going a little bit. Um, give me your perspective on you, what you think the fire service's role going forward is with uh, these active shooter situations we keep going on. Anybody? I'll kick that off. Like, yeah, so, you should kick it so off. So, Pabell, Pabell. What, yep. what do you think of that, buddy? So, first of all, I think that uh, active shooting or active shooter is uh, not even the appropriate terminology anymore. And a lot of people are moving away from that. It's active threats because we have so much things, so many different things going on around the country that this is that hazmat, technical rescue, EMS paradigm shift. That's taking place. <laughs> I just moved the mint out of my mouth. That's why everybody's laughing. Uh, it the sounded parent- disgusting, though. <laughs> Did it really? It was- <laughs> <laughs> oh. I just gave Kale a kiss. Uh. Uh, but I think this is that paradigm shift that's taking place in the fire service today that people, some people uh, are not paying close attention to it. But uh, if we look around the nation, you know, Every truck has ballistic gear in it, and, and this is something that's happening around the country. So to ignore it, for those that are choosing to ignore it, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. The active threat is is today's fire service moving forward. It's modern-day hazmat or when we moved yeah. into EMS or whatever. Okay, what do you think? I you told guys you. are pretty active. Yeah, we're our department, Alfred and Roz, will share a lot on active threat training and tiers program and other stuff. So, yeah, I totally agree that we have to start training a lot on that because it's not if, it's when, unfortunately. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with you that it is. it appears to be a when and not an if, and we definitely have to be more prepared uh, to, to meet that and interact with that, and I think it's going to require a much closer relationship with our police officer counterparts than we've been used to in the past, at least from us. But I think it can be done. I don't think it's an undoable feat, but we definitely are going to have to uh, get together with those organizations and train and intermix ideas that we haven't done before. And, and, and I'll give us, credit what, to uh, Alpharetta. You mentioned the TIERS program. I've been through the TECC, TCCC, and multiple programs like most of us have, and some of us are instructors too. But the key component that I have found in all the programs which TIERS deliver is you have to train with law enforcement. Our movement is different. Right. The way we view things are different. We're going directly to an incident that requires our help, and we don't focus on anything else. They're going directly to a threat, to neutralize a threat. We do right and left-hand searches. They do not do that. Right. So the component of well, making they sure operate independently very independent. where we don't operate so much independently at all. Yeah, so, so we definitely need to start getting together and, and making sure that when we come together as a task force, we know how to operate, and that's one of the things that the TIERS program offers that a lot of the programs out there, it's a kind of a missing component in a lot of the programs. We have to get with our law enforcement brothers and make sure that we're on the same page. Yeah, and it teaches PD what we do, so when we get to patients, they're like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go, and Trost learned when he went through class, it teaches the PD element of, hey, we might have a guy bleeding, we can throw a tourniquet and be moving to the next room in two seconds or they're shot in the hip area and we got to do quick clot now this is three four minutes and so that that element of teaching pd that there's more to it than just we come in and find the patient and go to the next room we actually have treatments we have to do and uh you know and teaching us what pd's trying to deal with when somebody's right. actively shooting at exactly. you. exactly so i know yeah. you guys just went through some training where you were actively being shot at correct yeah um 
obviously it was sim rounds, but you still hurt. Uh, they feel like yeah. really good and shot at. So that, it's, a, it's a new perspective. And unfortunately, we've had a lot of um, very unfortunate events lately, and they are bad, no It doubt. doesn't seem to be going away. It seems no. that every time you turn on the news, at least once a week, you're going to hear of a high-risk incident that is either currently in play or it just took place, and it's the the days of a single gunshot wound are gone. It's always multiple gunshot right. wounds, but besides that, it's multiple people. Right. So we're now, and you talk about the, a change in the fire service from stage outside because somebody took too many pills, and they could be 100 years old, you have to stage, to somebody has a semi-automatic or automatic gun inside and somewhere and you have to go partially, in. Right. Yeah, right. So it, it's a huge paradigm shift and, for and us. And really just, and you bring up a good point, it's probably going to change what the fire service looks like going forward in a lot of different areas, just exactly like you're saying, in that suicide. Well, there's, only and there's a departments around the country, and I'll say I know at least of one in the state, who, uh, and it's been a huge de- uh, topic of debate where firefighters are actually armed. They, they qualify, they do their stuff, but there are departments who have armed firefighters. Or the, I should say the firefighters have the ability to be armed that they've qualified and entered into that program. That's so a scary you, rabbit that's hole. That's a very, very scary one. But it's happening. It's happening. Well, either way, I think um, the bad part of it, and there's a lot of them coming, if there's something good that can come out of it, at least we get an opportunity to look at best practices. What, what worked and what didn't work, and then we kind of continue to hone that, whatever that tactical movement's going to be going forward. So so when we show up, or what would you be your preference? Are we there to give medical care to the officers? Are we, you know, the strike teams and stuff, or are we there to give care to victims? I, think, I mean, these guys are way more versed in it than I am. I, I'm just getting into the entry I'm level just, of it. Just perspective. I, it feels to me, from a very uneducated standpoint that it feels like two different components what you're talking about because you have a true SWAT medic program where they are attached to the SWAT team or to that entry team and then you have this TAC medics TAC medics and then you have something that I see us going towards where you have crews entering into these warm zones and they have a security component with them which is that police officer that's traveling with them into the scene that's correct and you made a comment right there that I want to touch on real quick was, was another mission did. Yeah. <laughs> was it a dumb comment? No. Okay, no. continue. You're, so you're on point. It is two completely different things. For me, I'm looking at a SWAT medic that's responsible for taking care of that team going in and the operators, and then the rescue task forces that are there to support the effort with all the uh, people that may need help. Is there really a warm zone? Because you know we keep well, using probably this. Probably a good point. We keep using this. Probably you not. know, just it's like awful. active shooter. Uh, that's why I say it's a high-risk uh, right. incident. And then as far as the warm zone, you know, for us, that warm means something so different. Uh, most of the buildings, you go in, well, we've cleared this side. That creates a warm zone. Most of these huge buildings have a way around right back to that warm zone. So you're in a hot zone with active threat or the possibility for active threat, even when they think they've neutralized one you don't know if you have a secondary one you don't know if there's explosive in there so it's super complex uh but back to what uh hatch was asking i agree with you it's two completely different things swap teams are or the swap medics are there to protect the uh, operators as they go in they're trained to a different level some of them are mandated armed and they know what they're doing to aid their uh, operators 
and then us as rescue task forces going in with the PD element to take care of the wounded is two completely different elements for the most part. But not all departments are going to have the same levels of staffing that we have and all that kind of stuff. But so, what would be their priority? You know, and I guess that's really going to be incident driven. You know, uh, you know, are you going to go in and take care of victims? Are you going to take care of you know people providing the security? You know, and it's it's really a no win situation that you know we talk about all the time. I mean, those those smaller departments are really going to have to come up quickly on the fly. Some some smart things to do you know, yeah, and the financial impact that this has on departments so I'll give you an example to be able to get uh, plate carriers and the equipment and the plates and the helmet and the stuff that you need to have some of this protective gear available because we've had s- several incidents that have taken place and the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth is I don't go into a fire without turnout gear and a hose. I'm not going into that building without the proper protective gear, which is a very valid statement to make. But to provide that, thousands and thousands of dollars. So just like Hatch is mentioning, some of these departments, especially volunteer departments or smaller agencies, you know, that finance is a huge road. We always look at, you know, things uh, like high-value targets, you know, stadiums and stuff like that, but it's not always going to be that. Like Sandy Hook Elementary was a small elementary school. I mean, so the department's going to have to figure out something pretty quickly. And another component is we're dressing more like the cops. Do we now become targets if that's what, you know, part of what they're doing because we're wearing ballistic gear. How do you know the difference? What do you think about putting, you know, red red cross, you know, crosses on them? Don't don't hit the medic. Well, you know, it's a target, though. Yeah, that's a target. If you want to take out an infrastructure, our infrastructure of public safety, and we get most of our stuff from the military. The military learns the lessons, and then they, you know, we we pick up on that. So that was actually a topic of semi-debate down here where they were saying, let's put our medics on some, you know, flashy something where they stand out. Well, if you wanted to create the most amount of casualties, what would you do? Take out the medic. Right. The military learned this a hard way, so they, you know, they've uh, adopted different. What a weird world we're in. It is a very weird world. It's very weird when we, as firefighters, have to think so tactical, be so tactically minded to. Let's call it ballistically (laughs) minded. We always think tactically as far as. Well, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. We don't do it. But to a different level. So, yeah, so to, to a ballistic level to understand what 3A is and what a plate carrier is and how to move in a building and, and all these different things that we're getting into now that I just personally didn't fathom that we'd be getting into. Well, we just bought plate carriers and helmets that are on every engine, truck, rescue. And we looked at the red ones and we looked at the black ones and we put them in low light situations. We went with the black ones. The red ones stand out like a sore thumb. And it was. Like running down a, a dark hallway, the red ones, that's what I'd shoot at if I saw a big bright red blob going down. So we went with the black ones. They have a little bitty three-inch piece of Velcro on them that say medic. That way you can be identified by other public safety. But, yeah, we, we didn't want it to stand out. Now, the, the stuff that we had in Roswell, is it the same thing they're running? Yes. As far as the yeah, there, there's a little bit of difference, but it's pretty much the same thing. And most of the kits, what they're coming with, everybody's going off of the federal standards. Uh, for the rescue task force standards so it's the carrier with quick access to rapid trauma medical care in the front and that's that thing we had correct in the helmet what is the cost of that one unit the play carrier and the helmet so depending on who you get it from and obviously there's some variances and qualities and what plate you're looking at anywhere from 
on somewhere of twenty five hundred to the five thousand dollar mark because even a the plate piece? itself, yeah, a steel plate. <laughs> yes. so, the look on his face. I had no idea. A steel plate versus a lightweight plate. What level protection that plate is going to have? What type of, of carrier did you get? What type of helmet did you get? Did you get you know a, a more SWAT lightweight uh, tactical helmet or one that's a little bit more inexpensive? So there's. There's quite a gap in there. So for I could tell you for the city of Roswell, they were gracious enough to approve through city council and that whole process to get some put on every apparatus in the city. And uh, the cost of, I think, 25 to 30 kits was somewhere in the $65,000 range. So it's definitely a tremendous financial impact. It, it's a no huge financial expense. Yeah, no, it is. And you can sh- and, and I'm not saying it makes it easier for smaller departments because it, ne- it doesn't necessarily because you got smaller budgets. You think about large departments with upwards of 30 stations and so one of the things that wanna. people can consider when it comes to that if you have a large department first of all is we need to use each other around the country and see what different people are doing and get from different purchasing power kind of from standpoint. everything but more importantly, from a strategic placement standpoint. So if you have a major department, one of the things that we did in Roswell is we have a high-risk incident response apparatus that has more kits than any of the apparatus. So if need be, a correct. neighboring so, department could reach out to you guys and you would just roll it in. Correct, correct. Or if you have a large department and you were to, you were to say, listen, we're going to classify in every battalion one of these uh, rescues or uh, med units as a active shooter, high risk, high threat, whatever you want to call it, unit, and that unit has 10 kits in it, 10 kits is a lot cheaper than buying right. Three, four, 30 four because you have to, correct. So that actually might be a smarter, uh, actually that's probably a fiscally smarter approach. It, it is. Really tactically is probably It is, but the pushback that you'll get on that almost immediately is going, so what happens to the first arriving unit? They're unprotected. So you're always going to find a pitfall. This is new to us, so there's no magic to this yeah, thing. And again, I'm talking up in an area that I don't have experience, but I imagine in a lot of in a lot of ways, and this, again, this probably going to get me in trouble, there's a little lag time still got to be even when first units are on the scene they're not it's like that hazmat call they're not jumping right in there there's a little bit of info time that has to take place there is and that goes to training is critical to establish how is your department going to respond how is that command structure going to work you're looking at a unified command structure of pd that thinks different than us and start establishing those rescue task forces to go in there or whatever you want to call your teams the initial crew has to go in there and clear it so we have a little bit of time but the training for each individual department an example would be roswell training for their model or alpharetta versus the cab or atlanta two completely different Uh, your battalion is bigger than our department. So there's going to be two completely different models of response and training. Yeah, there's going to be time for SWAT's got to get on scene. If it's still active, you're waiting on SWAT to deploy. So at that time, you can get a PD element and a fire element suited up. So Which yeah. that reinforces my thoughts that actually to have that one unit that's that tactical you know, active shooter. What, what's the other active threat? High risk response, high threat. That unit might gives them a little more time to deploy to the scene also. Right. So, anyway, you know, interestingly enough, though, uh, you raise a question that we could sit here all day talking about. and But we're not going to. Of course not. <laughs> we have been for about. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so look back. 
20 years ago. Would you have ever thought that you're going to be sitting in the position you are now trying to figure out financially, logistically, how to tactically, uh, not tactically, but ballistically uh, train and Did I deploy? Think that? Yes. Oh, absolutely not. Well, I mean, that's the thing that fire service is constantly oh, evolving. Like fired at that time. It's evolving the whole time. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good point you're talking about. Uh, Shane, you know, how are these departments going to interact, you know, using best practices and we know from running you know, large scenes, you don't know what you don't know right. and when is that time period that you're going to get to where you're actually getting in front of the incident instead of trying to just catch up to it and so now we're doing it with another entity and not just the fire service, we're doing it with PD as well in their realm of, you know, expertise and, you know we have to get much better about sharing that communication back and forth of you know, we're there not just to, you know, be targets and, and, you know, go take care of the patients. We need to know where, you know, the, the risk is as well. You know, do they communicate that as well? Uh, we went to that tabletop, and, you know, that was one of the things I thought so much about it is they acted so nonchalantly, like they would know right. how many and what they were doing. They're not going to know. It's going to take them a long time to figure that out. You You're know? right. And you, we're going to have to go put ourselves in the way for that. You actually may put us into a good spot, a jumping off spot here to get back where I thought we might go. And, and <laughs> um, you, you said, you know, we're learning, you know, how we get ahead of these things and right. all those kinds of things. The reality is this. That is, this is a new environment for us, okay? So we've been in the game for 20-plus years, what, 25 years now. Right. And, and this is new. This is new for us, right? And we're talking about how we get ahead of it. Think about the fire ground right now, how often we struggle just to get ahead of something oh, we yeah. do all the time. Right, 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 exactly. That's what I'm saying. Really big incidences that you show up on, you don't know everything. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to bring in all that information. So you're right, it does kind of lead into what we're going to talk about. Right. Uh, but, you know, how long does that take? And then how long does that take when it's another entity that's collecting the vast majority of that and are they going to share it with us? Because now it's, you know... Officer this, officer this, officer this. It's not team this like it like we're used to. Right. It's it's several groups of them, and they're all going to have different you know information information coming in, pinging all over the place. It's going to be. It's going to be interesting, and it's uh, it's going to be eye opening. Yeah. I, I think I'm kind of I'm curious about how we how we deal with that as a department, and however you know you guys are dealing with it, and how you're going to deal with. It. So it's going to be interesting to see what unfolds from there. I just think we should be prepared to stumble more than we should oh, look absolutely. to you know, succeeding because it's going to be so much yeah. learning on the fly for us. Yeah.